Welcome to The Lead, a New Lines Magazine podcast on ideas, events, and personalities from around the world. I'm Anthony Elgesane, and I'll be your host this time around. We're lucky to have two great guests with us today, Hayat Adjoueli and Ola Selim. Hayat is an Egyptian filmmaker who lives in Europe. She's written, directed, and produced different motion pictures on global politics, cultural exchange, and identity. She's also worked as an assistant to the director for Moon Knight, the Emmy-nominated show we'll be discussing today. We'll chat about what it's been like to help make and then watch as a fan Moon Knight. Second, we'll talk about life experiences, identity, and professional perspectives uh, while discussing the actual show Moon Knight, which has garnered general success and become particularly popular among Middle Eastern audiences in different states and diasporas. Uh, we're lucky to have our two participants because the show elevates, focuses on, and reflects some of the promises and paradoxes of Egypt, a place near and dear to the hearts of both podcast participants. Joining us as a guest today, Ola is the managing editor at New Lines Magazine. A British Egyptian, she was one of the founding editors of New Lines and has a decade of experience covering the Middle East and North Africa. In addition to making the magazine run, Ola has some interesting and informative perspectives on Moon Knight the show. Ola Hayat, uh, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hayat, uh, would you please tell us how you began pursuing your twin passions of politics and film? Yeah, I've always been uh, a very big fan of the arts. I started doing theater uh, in kindergarten. <laughs> I must have been in my first plays. And so it's something that was always near and dear to my heart and almost like came naturally to me. Um, both as a participant, like, you know, I, I did a lot of theater, um, but also as a consumer. And one of the, you know, all of my, my first memories kind of revolve around the films that I watched or the series that I watched. So uh, when I was around nine, I moved back to Egypt um, from Switzerland where my family had been living for a while. And I knew when the Disney episodes of like certain shows would come on and I would go to my grandparents' house just to watch them. So it's really something that shaped <laughs> uh, my daily life almost, uh, what my love for film, my love for, for TV. Um, but at the same time, I grew up with both my parents worked in international relations and I also grew up traveling a lot uh, or like moving a lot rather. And so I very, at a very young age became aware of my identity, aware of my difference in comparison to my classmates uh, growing up in, in the US or in Switzerland. And so um, during my teenage years, I realized, okay, this is something that I can't separate myself from. Um, and so I became really fascinated and passionate about social justice and diversity and representation. You know, I think when choosing where to go for university, which sounds kind of cliche, but I think it's like the first moment as like a young adult where you face having to make a decision. I was like, okay, well, I love the arts. I'm very passionate about cinema, but at the same time, like I want to make sure that I am like fighting to make the world a more fair and just or equal place um, and I was struggling to figure out how I could do both and then I was lucky to find a program that would allow me to study politics for two years and then uh, choose whatever I wanted for this following two years which most people in the program ended up focusing on like economics or human rights like one of the social sciences versus I was like nah <laughs> I'm gonna do film 
And people at first were kind of confused because they couldn't see the correlation. But for me, it was like, film is such an impressive tool for social change because everyone consumes film, right? If you make, a, for instance, a Marvel film, there are millions of people all around the world who are watching it, no matter what their background is. And so I just realized that there was like an immense power that film had. And so the, the combination of the two just made a lot of sense to me. And that's how I ended up where I am. Do you think of that person, that maybe younger self or others like you in, in your work? Yeah, no, definitely. I think for me, um, as you were saying, like film or, or TV was a way for me to kind of have a home wherever I was. So growing up, kind of moving around a lot, at least when I was watching TV, there was some kind of constant <laughs> in my life. And so the same shows that I watched, you know, when I was living in Egypt, I then moved to the US and they were still there. And that gave me the opportunity to kind of have that. It's funny, I was about to use the word reality when it's actually not a reality. <laughs> it's like some kind of alternate reality that is a constant. Um, but then I also realized that I didn't feel represented in any of those, right? Like all the shows or movies that I was watching, none of them represented my experience. And so I watched them and I loved them, but I was like obsessed or emulating things that didn't represent who I was or my culture or my experience. And so I think something that's really important to me now that I've had the luck of being able to enter the industry is how do I make it so that the, my younger cousins were like 14, 15, can watch these things and feel like they're a part of them and not just watching them from the outside because that is usually how you feel every day when you are in the diaspora. Could you tell us a bit about how you got involved or found your way to Moon Knight? Because I think what's really interesting about the show, I know Allah and others agree, is that it, it kind of does exist in both those worlds that you in particular uh, find interesting honestly like a, a, a strike of fate <laughs> but I think just because there's you know because I have these two passions and because Moon Knight is kind of it's you know the first Marvel um, series that has that takes place in Egypt that has an Egyptian superhero character etc and then it's helmed by you know an incredible director like Mohamed Zieb I feel like it was both it was, it was fate in the sense that I think we have very I look up to him I admire his work a lot and eventually we would have come together and I think uh Moon Knight was just that the, the right moment and the right project for it and how, so before we turn to all the um how was the experience for you working on Moon Knight uh, just as a sort of personal experience we can get into the the craft later yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, it's interesting because now it's about a year since we've wrapped on the show. And so it's kind of like a great time to be reflecting on it because in the moment, obviously, it was it almost felt mundane sometimes because it's your everyday reality. Like you're going, you're taking the car, you're going to the studio. Um, but it was in, in these mundane moments, you then have moments where you're like, oh, my God, like this is a Marvel show. It's about Egypt 
Michael Amewi is wearing a superhero suit. Like you just like, I, I would have so many moments where it's just like, okay, like you're, you're busy in the everyday thing, you know, you're stuck in traffic, blah, 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 blah. And then like, I get into the studio and next thing I know, I'm like saying good morning to Oscar Isaac. And I'm like, how did I end up <laughs> in this situation? So if, if I had worked on another Marvel series, I wouldn't have felt the way I did working on this one, knowing that I was also surrounded by people like Mohammed Ziyab and Ahmed Hafiz, the editor, and Hisham Nazir, the, the composer, and all the actors that were there, because I think that's what really made it feel more absurd, which is that like we're here and we're doing this, and we're the first and hopefully not the last to be doing this. And that was just such an incredible feeling. Uh, that's uh, really, really cool to hear. Um, obviously, when folks talk about inclusion and belonging, um, it has to happen not just on the screen, but behind the show and off screen. So that's that's great to hear. Uh, Ola, uh, we we talked a bit about Moon Knight before, you know, getting on this podcast. And I was just wondering, uh, could you share with our listeners and Hayat uh, what you thought about the show? I really loved it. It was uh, pretty awesome to watch from beginning to end. I could easily watch it again. And the second time I watch it will be different to the first time I watched it. And, you know, both times will be enjoyable. Um, I'd never read the Marvel comic books uh, before. I didn't even know there was a Marvel show that had um, anything to do with Egypt. To be honest, a very big thing about the show is that it has the first Arab female superhero uh, which is unheard of, really. So you have a lot of female strong characters, but then you have this one female character who is an abuser, the mother of Mark and Stephen. And I thought it was really interesting that, you know, having those two characters and the contrast of it, because it, I mean, obviously you don't see the, um, the latter character until later on and you kind of understand but you kind of feel that that's, that is probably one of the real villains in the show because that's the reason why Mark slash Stephen is the way he is and um, the reason for his disorder. Even, even with the mother, right? She is technically the, the villain because she's kind of at the source of all of this. But at the same time, she's suffering herself as well. She's evil because she's grieving. Um, and I think that's something that we also really try to play, which is that it's not like she's always been like this. She was brought to this point because of losing her child, which is a very difficult and terrible experience to, to go through. Um, so, yeah. I feel like probably the only person that's not a villain is um, Layla's character. So, yeah, yeah in, in, in setting up this moral complexity, right? <laughs> Man, woman, white. Middle Eastern, it's clear Layla, played by Michael Amawi, is in some ways the spine of the show. Mm. She carries for a long time Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, and somehow manages to maybe bend a little bit, but not break even as purportedly more powerful or assertive characters sort of wilt to the will of others, including whether they're villains or anti-heroes or complex characters. So I wanted to ask both of you, right, as, as general viewers, but also as, as folks who are and identify as Egyptian women, how you felt watching Layla 
a character as written and drawn. And then for those who maybe don't know the comics in the show, she's a composite character based on a few different elements and then played brilliantly. And here we get into the performance by Mai Kalamaui, who was also Egyptian origin. Uh, what did you guys think of, of both the character and, and the performance on the show? We'll start with, uh, with Ola and then go to Hayat. I, I do think that she kind of makes the show. Having her was such a game changer. I mean, just having somebody with curly hair that kind of resembles you and you kind of can see yourself in on the big screen is such a big deal. As someone who grew up in the West, you don't see or read stories or watch movies with characters that kind of look like you, sound like you. And to have somebody not just in a movie, but kind of like as a main character and then as a superhero, you feel like you can just, you know, you can identify with something rather than reading stories that don't tell your story, that tell other people's stories. Knowing there were so many other Egyptian women behind the, the screen, like including you, Haya, you know, that is also a really big deal to know that, you know, there's they're just front and center here. I do wonder um, whose decision was it to make her a character with Egyptian roots? Because uh, from what Anthony told me before is that in the comics, she's not actually Egyptian. For the listeners, the the flame or the romantic interest, at least in a lot of the, the comics, is an American drawn as a blonde. But the composite character here of Leila includes some elements from that person and then some different elements that the writers and creators injected uh, into her. So turn it over to Hayat on that point. It was a big responsibility to create Leila because we also knew how important it was um, that she was going to be the first this, the first that, right? And so it's a big responsibility to, to the world, but also to young Arab women, to, to Arab women, period, Egyptian women, period. Um, so it was very difficult, but it also meant that we gave her a lot of attention. And I think looking back, it was definitely my favorite part of the process was bringing her character to life. And that including in the writing, writing process, um, when we would have these rehearsals with the whole cast and then the producers, Muhammad, uh, Deb, obviously, Sara Gohar, his wife, who is also one of the writers and, and producers on the show. Um, and so Oscar and Ethan and uh, Aaron and, and um, Justin, the two other directors, like everyone really wanted to make Layla a strong character that people would look up to, but, on the side, like there was me, there was Sora Gohar, there was Mai, there was um, Amina, she was, one, uh, she was Mai's um, assistant. We also had personal stakes in this, you know? We were like, she had, as you were saying, Ala, like she has curly hair. Like we, we, we were called, they were, we were like the curly crew because when we, four, all four of us would walk down the lot, everything was kind of like bouncing. Like you couldn't tell us apart because of all the curls, right? So we had personal stakes there. And so Layla, had a little bit of all of us. And I think that's why a lot of Arab or Egyptian women felt like seen or represented by her is because there was a lot of genuine kind of um, input into her from a lot of us be behind the scenes and from my personally, right? Um, my dedicated so much of her life and her energy to this character. Um, of course, previous to Moon Knight, she had worked on a lot of like short films and some series she'd had Romney 
Um, but Moon Knight to her was, was a, a new beginning and a new page. And so she did the stunt training herself. She came into to Budapest where we were shooting almost a month early to do the stunt training herself because she thought it was important for her to have the same physical strength that Layla as a character had. Um, and and she just really put her her heart and soul into it. And I think you can you can sense that. And honestly, looking back, I'm I'm really, really, really proud of the show as a whole, but specifically about Lila as a character, not just because she's the first Arab female superhero, but because she's uh, she's authentic, right? Like she feels like I could she could be a friend of mine. And I think that's really important. We just figured out how do we bring a little bit of each of us into her. Um, and especially a little bit of May, since she's the one who embodied her. Could I ask to you to maybe mention what part of the performance spoke to you the most? Like, was there a scene? What did you pick up on the most and relate to the most? The one that was like most imprinting is when she was dressed as a superhero, when you see her at the end. That kind of stays with you. Everything just looked so, it became iconic at that point. I think to me it was really the scene where I was like wow like she's so real um was the scene on the feluca you see how much she cares about Mark even though he's really hurt her she understands that he's in pain as well and that he's suffering and it's just such an honest and raw moment between the two of them and I think it's a really, really beautiful because it shows her strength. Obviously, there's her strength as a superhero, right? There's her strength as the Scarlet Scarab. But I think what's really impressive about Layla is her strength just as a human being. Like, I think that I really like that scene because it really shows that. So uh, in, in the conversation, uh, you've both mentioned from different viewpoints, uh, authenticity and accuracy. And you know, part of that's letting people shine. So Mae Kalamawi is shining as a general performer who's happening to inform the role, it seems, or certainly in some scenes, with the specificity of her background. Same with Antonia, same with, with others. But what about places? So uh, you mentioned Hayat and, and Ola in doing her research uh, emphasized this point too, that, that Muhammad Diab and others on, on the initial creative team, had wanted to depict Egypt, Egyptians, Arab, Arab origin people, even Arabish people, let's say, accurately, and also bring Cairo to life. Now, anyone who's actually been to Cairo, let alone live there, knows it's a behemoth, it's a massive city, it's, it's loud, it's boisterous. You didn't film there. Portraying Cairo accurately or Egypt accurately was I think at the like the essence of Muhammad Diab's pitch to Marvel so if you've done any research on the show like Muhammad always speaks about how him and Sarah developed a 200 page pitch uh, when they were pitching to Marvel and I can tell you that at least 30 percent of that pitch is look at all these Hollywood productions that have done a terrible job <laughs> at accurately representing um, Arab cities or, or North African cities. And so that was really at the core of what we were trying to achieve. And I think, um, unfortunately, so the goal initially was to shoot in Egypt. Unfortunately, we were not able to do that. And so we, we basically, it was like, okay, we can't shoot in Egypt, 
but we have to make it look like it's Egypt. And in a way that meant not going to shoot in Morocco and pretend it's Egypt, because then it's not going to look like Egypt. And thankfully, it's a Marvel show. Marvel has a lot of budget. And so we built Egypt. <laughs> uh, so literally, like, we had, like, in the studios, a massive, massive space, um, Orego Studios in Budapest. And there was, like, this big, empty space. And then within two weeks, it was Cairo. Like, I, I can't describe to you how absurd of a concept that is. But we had an amazing production designer. Her name is Stefania Chella. And she was like, okay, like, you guys want Cairo? I'll give you Cairo. Um, but of course, right, the, the, the actual infrastructure or like the architecture is one thing, but the, the taste, the, the, the vibes, <laughs> the chaos of Cairo is another. And so um, she had as, as a consulting uh, art director, Ali Hussam, who's one of the biggest art directors in Egypt. And he kind of brought, again, brought that, that, that flavor that you wouldn't get unless you've seen these things firsthand and lived them. So if you look on the walls, sometimes you can see like the handprints from like the Eid and when you like put the hand, small things like that. If there's like a, a, an ayah from the Quran on top of some uh, door, um, all these little small details that make it feel like it's you're, we're shooting in Egypt. And obviously you can't necessarily recognize a specific location like, oh, this is that street because it is built on a studio but the general sentiment i think we succeeded in making it feel like it's egypt and you can sense that on screen but you could sense it off screen like the the day that we were shooting the scenes the cairo street scenes i was stressed because i thought i was gonna get like street harassed you know what i mean and that's a horrible thing that that's the first thing you think of about walking around cairo but like you know we were like even may said the same like you're walking and there's so many people and so many cars and it's loud and i kept like looking behind me you know and and that's how real it felt so I think we we did well. Um, it's unfortunate we weren't able to shoot in the actual location, but looking back, it was so chaotic on a back lot that I'm terrified to think what it would have been like if we'd actually shot in Cairo. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until after watching it and researching about the show that I realized it actually wasn't shot in Cairo. I really did think it was shot in Cairo. Um, kind of like, like Haya said, it's, um, I mean, I remember watching the mummy and you have seen of Brendan Fraser looking for a tomb and then you have these quote unquote Egyptians in the background and they're shouting in I don't know what Arabic dialect it was but it definitely wasn't Egyptian and may not have been even Arabic you're basically drawn into a movie and you kind of get sucked out immediately because you realize like oh actually wait this is not real um so you know a lot of movies have lost that and you know watching things with like Arabic references or so on it kind of always made it made you feel like oh they're they're gonna get something wrong like it's and sometimes they do it intentionally it feels like Hollywood intentionally makes us look in certain ways depicts us in certain ways because that's what the audience is looking for and that's what the audience is used to and they just don't want to uh, divert from that and I think what the director Muhammad Diyad did here was uh, incredible that he made sure that it was actually authentic it goes against what people would think uh, is Egypt or is Cairo um, I remember going to um, you know summers in 
Cairo and my parents, you know, and I have family in Giza and you can look out the window and it's incredibly busy. And from a distance, you see the pyramids. And I, I do remember also when I was, you know, like I was eight year old and I was in England and studying about ancient Egypt in in primary school and then telling my parents, you know what, when I go back to Egypt this summer, I really want to go see the pyramids because we studied all about it. And then when I went to the pyramids, I was shocked. I was like, wow, this is really busy. This is really hectic. Like there is, you know, life all around it. It's nothing like the pictures you see in the books where it's all desert. It's literally a city built around these pyramids. Um, And I, I thought, you know, the authenticity and these, all these little details were, um, what made Moon Knight such a great show. And even to the point where you had um, Egyptian music in the credits. Um, so, you know, one of the songs is a remix of uh, a song by, you know, Egyptian diva Umar Khartoum. And I remember playing Umar Khartoum in the car sometimes and my kids would say, oh, why are you playing Arabic music? Switch it to English. You know, like, you know, going, right now we're in, England, we're in America. You know, they've lived all their life in America. They don't speak a lot of Arabic. So when they hear Arabic music, they say, you know, we want to switch to English. But they watch Moon Knight with me. And now when they hear Umar Kalsum, they think, they say, oh, that's Marvel's Moon Knight. That's from Marvel's Moon Knight. And they seem really proud of it. And it's they it makes, had to use a remix though because they'd have to spend a whole episode if it were like one of her real songs. But, but go, go ahead. Yeah, all right. I, I, you know, one time they told me it's like, oh, after this, can you switch to an English song? I said okay, and they said, well, how long is this uh, song for? I was like, uh, forty-five minutes. <laughs> it was like a proper Omakalthum song. Um, but you know, as an Egyptian mom, it's really incredible to kind of like. And then one of my kids were actually humming it the other day in the car just humming an Omakrasum song. Um, and it's really uh, from these details, honestly, that has a big impact. And so uh, you both alluded to this. And I just want to emphasize it for, for the listeners because in, in the notes, we've repeatedly seen uh, this was a creative emphasis to make the city come alive, but make, make the pyramids feel proximate both physically, but, but psychologically. I was going to ask also, uh, what did we think, uh, and Ola, you'd mentioned this before, about the portrayal of abuse. For those folks who don't know, the, the protagonist struggles with dissociative identity disorder. One of the triggering events for the character is the physical and other abuse that's revealed in, in late episodes that his mother perpetrated. And we should emphasize, his father didn't necessarily stop. Uh, what, why I found that interesting is you can kind of see the imprints that the distinct personalities have in the way they react to assertion, violence, dominance by others. Uh, anyway, I don't want to I don't want to belabor the point. I just wondered what the two of you thought about the portrayal of abuse. And as Ola mentioned, abuse perpetrated by a woman, the mother. So obviously I am not an expert on DIV whatsoever, but you know, we 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 had um psychologists um kind of as consultants on the show and I 
I'm fascinated by psychology and I did some reading when we were doing a show and everything. And so DID does usually um, kind of appear as a, as a disorder due to childhood abuse or trauma. So we, yeah, we, we wanted it to be, to be nuanced in the fact that the mother was also suffering, but also very clear in the fact that what she was doing was wrong and that, um, that, you know, that had a very, very profound impact um, on, on Mark. So yeah, and I do think like it was really important for us to add this depth, right? Like we didn't want to gloss over that, like it, making a show about DID without talking about like the trauma that comes, like that it stems from would have been inauthentic as well. And even though like Disney Plus is obviously accessible to children. And so we had restrictions in terms of like what we, we could really openly talk about, we did want to make sure that it wasn't just a superhero show, because if it's a superhero who has DID, then we have to touch on why and how and what it is, right? And and um, it, it was very difficult. And I think there's always room to kind of try to get these things more and more right. Um, but it was important for us at least to kind of delve into it a little bit. So and we'll turn to the future now, so we won't spend too much time on this but writers initially looked at some movies as inspiration and they're kind of incorporated into the show so an indiana jones style movie is incorporated into the show but while i love indiana jones and i hate snakes i, I do think indiana jones and similar movies are some of the problematic movies that we've seen in hollywood and the way they depict uh, arab or arabish folks right Maybe this is one good character, and then there's a mindless mob of, of men that are like the backdrop to the protagonist's uh, activity. I mean, did you feel like this show is it's, it's a building upon that as it's a step forward? Was there a conscious effort to sort of take that genre of the swashbuckling protagonist and just do it while respecting the peoples of the place more? Yeah, I think it's really, really interesting. And I think like there is definitely something that's always going to be inherently Orientalist about um, like, a, 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 in this case, American, but European or white or however we want to go with um, man who's like traveling to a distant foreign land to find out about this exotic you know like situation there's always going to be something that's a little off about it like is it possible to have the kind of like adventure indiana jones type uh genre while also making it authentic yes i think while making it non-orientalist i don't know <laughs> what's fascinating in, in moon knight in, in i think uh, the Marvel Studios overall has been tracking in this direction. In the earlier phases of the so-called Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is now almost like a multi-platform multiverse, uh, you had this men of science sort of leading the charge, the Tony Starks, the uh, Bruce Banners, and now we have more mysticism, magic, and horrors. Hayat, now that we, we've talked a bit about you, the show, you kind of, you ended your last remarks talking more generally about what you'd like to see. So I think it's a good time to maybe ask you about the craft of cinema, right? Uh, what you think about it? Is it a craft? Is it a science? Is it an art? And what did you learn most 
uh, or find most valuable uh, while working on Moon Knight. And then we can wrap up the conversation by by talking a bit, if you'd like, uh, about what you have in store. Uh, I, uh, all the mutual friends like Danny Hajar, people all over our community of uh, readers and listeners are already kind of rooting for you. So I'm sure folks would love to know uh, what's next in store, what you have uh, planned. Yeah. Um, well, to begin with, about whether cinema is an art or a craft or a science, I think it's a little bit of all of that. And that's what I find really cool about film is that you don't have to be an artist to work in film. You don't have to be. It's an industry at the end of the day. And so you can be a lawyer and work in film. There's so much science to it, especially now with all the technology like man, I kind of like, I wish I knew how to code. You know, like when we were talking about the CGI characters, I'm like the CGI builder. Like there's just such a huge part of film now that is more quote unquote scientific. But even the very basics of cinema is physics, right? Like lights and sound and all of that. And so I suffered a lot in film school when when they had opened the textbook and it's like all these graphs. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. Here. but yeah no so I think it's a little bit of 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 all of that and that's what's magical about it and to me cinema always kind of boils down to collaboration right and that's the thing that I love about it most it's that it's a you're not sitting by yourself painting or drawing or writing it's a process that includes at least two people if not thousands so on moon night I think our total crew was around a thousand two hundred people um and that's my favorite part kind of, 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 of the film world is that it's a collaboration. It's the voices and the, and the craft and the art and the science of a whole bunch of people coming together. And, and that's like the, the movie magic to me is that, um, what is the most valuable thing I learned? It's kind of like almost more personal rather than like a, it's not like a physical lesson, I guess, as much as it's like, but it's that you can, do something that you love and something that's positive for your community for your people and everything and one still have it be like a job and something that's like financially viable <laughs> but also something that is commercial and on a big scale because I think people tend to think like oh if you want to make something that's like political or something that's going to make a mark on, on on the world or be you know it has to be an art house indie film whatever but I think the greatest part of this project was was or learning or figuring out that like, no, like you can make something like Marvel have a political or a sociological impact, right? And for me, like over the last couple of months since the show has come out, I've, I've traveled a lot. I've worked in different places with very different types of people. And basically everyone I talk to says, oh yeah, Moon Knight, like either I've watched it or I know about it. And the ability to have an impact on such a large scale of people from people who are Arab and who did feel represented to people who are from a completely different part of the world, know nothing about Egypt and had a door open to them and an interest that blossomed, like is so magical. And I think moving forward to like what I wanna, <laughs> what I wanna do and, and, and the projects I'm working on now is that I really want to continue working in this middle ground of making um, making art, making cinema that's accessible and that is palpable and that is exciting and that is entertaining. Because I think Ola, in the very beginning of our conversation, you brought out that word, you just said it's good entertainment. So I want to make good entertainment that also is championing the causes that I care about. 
Um, so for instance, I'm currently working on a short film. I'm in Serbia right now scouting for a short film that I'm co-directing hopefully soon. It's been a long and tedious process um, about two Palestinian refugees who at the onset of the COVID pandemic have 24 hours before the borders close to decide whether they want to stay in Serbia indefinitely or uh, return home to, to Palestine. Um, and even though it sounds very political upfront, right? Um, it's a story about friendship above all, uh, but it's also very visually funky, honestly. <laughs> Like uh, I'm co-directing it with a Serbian uh, friend of mine and we want, we want to make it funny. It's really funny because the script is not funny, <laughs> but all the actors that we've had auditioned have had, and, and I'm excited for that because I don't want people to watch it because it's about Palestinian refugees. I want people to watch it because it's a funny, fu or not funny, fun film to watch. And then when they come out of it, they're like, oh wait, like maybe we should care about this um so yeah that's one of the it's the project i'm knee deep in right now because i'm scouting for it but i have uh hopefully soon like a a, a slate of other similar projects documentary and feature that all have i think one thing in common which is that they're they're fun and they're entertaining but they're also saying something um about about our community about our people and about the world that we live in <laughs> Yeah, rejecting uh, false choices. That's that sounds good to me. Ala, Selim, Hayat Al Joeli, thank you both for joining us today. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you, Ala. It was such a pleasure chatting with you guys. Thank you both. Thanks for joining us today. To hear more from Hayat, you can find her on Twitter at x h a y a t y x. This has been the lead, the New Lines podcast. This week's episode was produced by Joshua Martin and hosted by me, Anthony Elgesing. For more like this, subscribe to The Lead on your favorite podcast app or visit our website, www.newlinesmag.com.